What's up, Story Geeks? It's Jay. And Daryl. On today's show, by the way, it's a long one, <laughs> yeah. because the topic is very intense. We're defining what it means to be an anti-hero. That's right. So, And it is not easy to do. It's not easy to do. We talk about who's an anti-hero, why they're an anti-hero, is, does killing automatically make you an anti-hero? All of that and more on today's show. That's right. And joining us on this show is the newest member of the Story Geeks team and one of the hosts of the Story Cauldron podcast, Mr. Anthony Holder. He's been on the show before. He's a good buddy of ours. And he is our newest blogger. And we talk more about that in the show. So stay tuned to hear about that. Super smart guy, too. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on antiheroes and what it means to be an antihero and what the, what's the difference between a villain and an antihero and a hero. You can share all those thoughts with us in the Story Geeks Facebook group. The link to that Facebook group is in the show notes. Or you can just search on Facebook, search for The Story Geeks, and you'll find us. Also, don't miss us on the Patreon Aftercast. Daryl and I are going to give probably a pretty short review of a new anti-hero movie, Venom. Which is where all this came from. I mean, when Venom came out, we were like, what do we want to do? Let's talk about anti-heroes. That's right. So you can catch that on the Patreon Aftercast. So if you are not a Patreon supporter yet, listen to the end of this show. because We'll talk about how you can become a Patreon supporter and get access to a lot of additional content. And be sure you don't miss our upcoming shows. Next week, we're going to dig deep into a movie that we've been meaning to get to for a long time. It is Inception, and we're super excited about that because our guest for that show is one of the actors from the movie itself. That's right, Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) No, No, not actually. Dilip Rao, who played Yusuf, who was a part of the team. He was the chemist. He's awesome in that role, too. Cannot wait to talk to him. Super cool character, so stay tuned for that. And then the week after that, we're taking some time to check out Halloween, and we're going to be talking about some of our favorite Halloween moments in film and television and we're doing that with our good buddies and friends of the family, Justin Weaver and Sandra Demas. Super so, fun shows coming up. Yeah, so be sure to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any of that stuff. So links to all the stuff we're talking about are in the show notes. And thanks for listening in. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Let's dig deeper into the definition of antiheroes. When Jay and I were getting ready to do this episode, we were like, who do we need to talk about? on anti-heroes and the good question was who wrote the book on anti-heroes <laughs> literally <laughs> literally so <laughs> we we got somebody who maybe didn't write the book but did write a chapter for a book that's on right anti-heroes that's right so we have one of the hosts of the story cauldron podcast our friend and latest member of the story geeks team we'll talk about that a little more mr anthony holder hi guys Hi. <laughs> Welcome back. Thanks. It's good to be back. Yeah. How many times is this now? Because you're working towards your five-timers jacket. Oh, I think this is number three? Three or four? Three or four. <laughs> it's got to be up there. Yeah. Well, but if he's part of the team, he's disqualified from the jacket, right? <laughs> I mean, he gets an honorary jacket. Yeah, honorary. But I get a it's a windbreaker. Space, right? It's a windbreaker. That's what it win- basically <laughs> ends up being. <laughs> <laughs> to clarify that, since I've already mentioned it a couple of times, Anthony is our newest blogger. So that's right. He will so, be writing hey. blogs for the Story Geeks. So yeah. pay attention to our website, thestorygeeks.com, to see what he does. Yeah, it's pretty yeah, exciting. This is at a time when our blog is actually growing too, because uh, Ashley Pauls is doing her own blog serials. 
So Ashley Pauls did a Women of Star Wars blog serial, which is phenomenal. And now um, Anthony reached out to us and said, hey, I'd like to actually add my opinion to what's going on over there. <laughs> We're like, yes, please. That'd be amazing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so there's lots of cool stuff out at thestorygeeks.com that you can check out related to, that is related to the podcast, but then other stuff that's just not related to the podcast. It's just more geek. Just more goodness. Yeah, more goodness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's still a lot to... Uh figure out how this blogging situation is going to go. But I, I know, uh, I mean, I've had some fun conversations with Ashley already kind of planning some stuff out. She and I are both apparently big. Well, I definitely am. And she apparently is a big Doctor Who fan as oh, yeah. well. And uh, there may be something bubbling under the surface there on the blog. So that'll be cool to look forward to. That would be awesome because yeah. a lot of our listeners really love Doctor Who and Jay and I are a complete <laughs> empty vacuum when it comes to Doctor Who. So I tried well, to watch it, man. I cannot I can't get through it. I'm like, it's entertaining, but I don't know. I don't know. Hey, don't you know are entitled to your own insane opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Which I have many of. <laughs> well, before we dive into our topic, Anthony, why don't you tell everybody about the story cauldron and what you're up to over there and where they can yeah. find you? Well, we are uh, on a bit of a kind of unofficial hiatus simply because I have recently gone back to school. So um, if you listen to the podcast for a while, you, you um, may have already heard that. But we do have a good number of episodes up on thestorycauldron.com already. And we do have you know, <laughs> very sincere plans to keep cranking them out as soon as uh, the stars align here for Bobby and, and Garrett and I, um, all three of us busy with different schools in different states now. But uh, the, the, the real, real quick blurb is, is that we look at stories and where stories came from. Uh, we look at the origins, the stories behind the, the stories that we see up on the movie screen. So uh, like we talked about, we, we, we were talking about the Avengers not too long ago, and, and we looked at Jason and the Argonauts in Greek mythology. Uh, we talked about Jurassic Park, and we looked behind that at, at stories like Frankenstein and, and the Island of Dr. Thoreau. Uh, Dr. Murrow, not Dr. Thoreau. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different movie. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, so yeah, that kind of thing. It's it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, I think the the next uh, episode or the last episode that I think went up, if I remember right, was on the Sandlot, and we talked about the hero's journey again, which is always a fun conversation for for Bobby and uh, uh, especially so. And the Sandlot, I mean, great baseball movie. Yeah, it is. So. Yeah, that's a great movie. Awesome. Well, we are here to talk about anti-heroes tonight. Yeah. So thanks for joining us, Mr. Expert. Yeah. Well, okay, hold on now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> now, the book you've written a chapter in is not out yet. Is that correct? No, I, I was hoping. Um, it's still in press, uh, but it's. Uh, I think that the title that the editor settled on was something relatively uh, rel relatively bland like the super villain reader or something like that because <laughs> um, there there are it's it is technically aimed at a, at kind of an academic sort of audience um, like English students uh, literary criticism sort of departments at, at universities there's several volumes already on superheroes and the editors for this volume said you know there's not really anything about super villains and that's what most of the book is geared towards. But uh, I have a chapter in there on anti-heroes and actually anti-villains as well. The, these two funny liminal cases, which are kind of you know on the boundary between the good guys and the bad guys. Um, mm. And I, 
I lay, I mean, I, I lay out a, a theory, a kind of a definition for what, what an anti-hero is and, and what an anti-villain is. And, and we'll see if you guys agree or, or not. Cause I know it's a, it is, it, I mean, I'm not the authority figure by any means. And there's lots of different definitions of what an anti-hero is. So uh, I'm sure that, that we'll have some stuff to talk about. For sure. So here's what this is going to look like. Here's our roadmap for this episode. I don't always give a roadmap, but this is a special one. <laughs> so I want us to end up with the official Story Geeks definition of an antihero. So the way we're going to do that is we're going to start off, we'll each give the definitions that we have in our heads now, and then we will break it down, talk about aspects, talk about motivations, talk about different characters, and then we're going to come back at the end and try and agree on a definition. Sounds good to me. I might be reaching for the moon here, but I don't know. We'll see. Well, we, you know, uh, part of the podcast and part of having different guests on and having different people and opinions in the Facebook group is the acceptance of multiple definitions. However, we are also questioning everything in our favorite geek stories and always seeking the truth that's right so the closer that we can get to what that truth may or may not look like the better so i really like this approach because we can start out in divergent places and end up in a convergent place which is kind of cool yeah and there's no i as far as i've seen there is no one all-encompassing definition of an anti-hero everywhere you look it feels different yeah it's always different so it's <laughs> true so let's go for it let's start off with just giving each of our own definitions of what an anti-hero is. And Anthony, why don't you go ahead and jump in and start us off? Uh, okay. Well, uh, <laughs> rather than just saying, well, you know, here's like eight pages um, that I could read. Yeah, don't read you. the whole chapter. There's charts. <laughs> but, but I have charts. No. It, <laughs> uh, so in a, in a sentence, I think uh, a good definition for an anti-hero is a character who is outwardly heroic, but inwardly broken. Huh. Someone who, if all you see is kind of, if you, if you only look at their actions, then they look heroic, like they're doing good things, they're saving people. But if you look only at their inner monologue, as it were, their kind of self-conception of themselves, you're going to have an extremely different picture. They, they don't line up. They're their inner sense of self, so to speak, is extremely insecure, extremely self-critical, filled with doubt, filled with uh, fear, filled with the sorts of things that maybe you wouldn't expect from looking at their, you know, rippling biceps or whatever, you know, the, the good things that they're, that they're doing to help uh, save the, the kitten stuck in the tree. And I think that it's that dichotomy of the the fact that those two things don't match up that makes them so interesting. Nice. I like that. Nice. What do you think? Uh, you know, I have mine as listed as someone who doesn't desire to put other people's needs first, but who is compelled to sacrifice herself in order to save others. Okay. We might not have a whole lot to argue about, actually. <laughs> so... My definition, I don't have it as concise as you guys do, but I would say similar to yours, Anthony, for me, an anti-hero is somebody who does do heroic things, but only because they are compelled to by some external circumstance. 
their motivation at the core is not to help people. It's for some other reason. But in the process, they end up helping people. Interesting. That's kind of where I'm coming from. Here we go. Okay. So let's let's go for it. Let's, let's see what we can figure out. So let's start let's with motivation. It. So um, let's talk. I mean, we've sort of talked a little bit about what an antihero's core motivation is already. But I want to look at what makes it different from a hero, a traditional hero, and what makes it different from a villain. Mm. Like, why are they in this middle ground. So Jay, why don't you start off on that one? What do you think? Yeah. And I apologize at length for this answer because it is a little long, but here we go. (laughs) So the hero, I'm going to start with heroes, heroes, the hero's motivation is entirely selfless, right? So it's all about what is best for other people, even to the point where the, to the point where the hero is willing to place their own well-being in danger in order to benefit those other people. Um, so it's a one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is like strict, straight up villain, right? And the villain's motivation is entirely self-focused. They want what's best for them, period. Um, the anti-hero, and this is not, I don't think this is a, this is a sliding scale. It's not like you fit like easily into each bucket. This is a scale which you slide along, yeah. right? Um, but the anti-hero for the, to me is for the most part lives day-to-day life as a villain, meaning they're interested primarily in their own needs or wants, but because they believe ultimately in the larger golden rule and that that other people are valuable, they step up when people are threatened. But to your point, I do think there is some, they don't step up if it's a small thing and they may not step up in certain circumstances, right? So it's it's this thing that they're always wrestling with. So just to really quickly catalyze some of those thoughts, um, I think the easiest way to tell how heroic or villainous someone is, is to simply analyze their end game. So Captain America from the MCU end game wants everyone to be safe globally. Yeah. Uh, Nakia and eventually black Panther, not at the beginning of the movie, but at the end of the movie wants to use their resources to help the rest of the world, not to, not to uh, become more powerful than the rest of the world, but to help the rest of the world. Yeah. Superman serves as a global force for peace. Easily all heroes. They're willing to give up whatever of themselves in order to then help other people. Red Skull from the MCU <laughs> wants power, wants to rule the world, <laughs> willing to kill and hurt other people to get it. The Emperor from Star Wars, same thing. Just use the entire galaxy as your, as your metric. And also, by the way, the the emperor goes beyond that because he actually wants to like basically eradicate any light side use of the force as well. I mean, he wants to like decimate everything. So those are obviously villains. But we see Han Solo in A New Hope. He wants to do his own thing. He doesn't care if the oppressive empire wreaks havoc. He's going through his day to day life, doing his day to day thing. Um, But yet he does the right thing when faced with a critical decision. Deadpool concerned primarily with revenge and goofing off, but then starts to realize he should be helping more than he's hurting. Um, and then finally, Frank Castle, who's probably the closest to villain as you can possibly get. And um, this is the Punisher initially wants revenge to fulfill his selfish desire for justice, but often realizes that he can step in at a higher level to make a difference. Frank Castle is an interesting one though. And we're going to cycle back to him later in another answer. Yeah. We're going to go through a bunch of characters. Yeah. Later Cause on. he's crazy. <laughs> but I think, like, to me, those are the classic antiheroes. Han Solo, Deadpool, Frank Castle, those kind of, their motivations shift when they realize what's at stake or when they realize what's going on around them and that they can make a difference. Um, I do want to throw out a couple, too, that are just, like, sort of what I would call new villains uh, or, or, like, I guess the, the better term is well-rounded villains. So, <laughs> okay. um, 
because th- I think that we've been we've been confusing the term antihero and hero with some of these people um, in conversations. And Thanos, right? Thanos wants to ensure that the universe is balanced and is willing to kill half the universe's population at random. Killmonger, his end game is to take over the power structure, not to not to create balance, but to tip the scales to his side. And so I think to me, those are just more complex villains. In fact, I've had this conversation with Anthony before and Anthony said, yeah, I'd even call them anti-villains because they're almost done in a way that is not quite the same as what we call a villain, but it's a little different. So when it comes to the big picture, we need to know what the individual's final goal is. If the final goal, goal is to be superior to, then we're looking at someone who's on the villain side of that equation. But if we're looking at the end game that suggests we're all equal and we all deserve justice, then we're probably looking at a hero or a reluctant hero, which may be the anti-hero. Sure. So yeah, it has to do with selflessness, selfishness, end game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Anthony, what do you think? Well, that was good. That was really good. <laughs> um, I'm glad you remember talking about anti-villains with me because I don't remember talking about it with you but I was gonna say that, <laughs> that's that's exactly what I was gonna say like man yeah. oh wait he's talking about me okay uh yeah yeah so I think to start with the question you actually asked Daryl um I think that it's I, I'm okay so the way that that Jay just answered the question is that motive if I would was following you right motivation is basically what determines whether or not you're an anti-hero is that right i mean like you you it's a sliding scale but um yeah that's fair i mean i think that we 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 do need to address the behavioral side of the equation mm-hmm. as well because you mm-hmm. can have all the good motivations in the world <laughs> yeah but if you can't follow them but yeah yeah essentially like what is it you're trying to accomplish right okay and so i think that uh th- this might be the place where we disagree because I think that motivation isn't necessarily inherent to being an anti-hero. Um, I think there's probably a lot of overlap with what anti-heroes tend to be motivated by, but I think that is not necessarily an essential part of, of being an anti-hero because, um, I mean, you could have, I mean, like, like think about, oh, even just some that you you just mentioned, Han Solo and Frank Castle, are I, I think that they have almost nothing in common really when it comes to their motivation. Um, I, I think that uh, Solo is motivated what lar- largely by by profit. He's motivated by uh, looking out for number one, and that's not really. The Punisher's motivation at all, right? And, you know, the, mo- the Punisher is motivated by what trying to get revenge initially, but then justice—this real warped sense of of, of uh, working it out. But the, what what they have in common, I think, is like I said earlier that that disconnect. What they do inwardly and or the, what they think inwardly and what they do outwardly doesn't match up. I think you're right to say that a hero is entirely selfless. And a villain is entirely self-focused, and their act, their outward actions match that. But the anti-hero inwardly is going to be. Hmm, I think there's a lot of in- anti-heroes who are looking to maybe uh, deal with some kind of inner pain. Um, they're lonely. They're broken. They are trying to work through some kind of issue, and 
then they're thrust into the situation of whatever the plot is. And for whatever other reasons, they end up doing heroic things. But that might or might not actually be related to those those issues that they're working through. Uh, so I, I think, I mean, we're not entirely in disagreement here because, I mean, you, like you said, the reluctant hero. And I think that a lot of times there is this reluctance in the anti-hero because they're dealing with some serious kind of internal strife or, or struggles. But at the same time, they have to address whatever this clear pressing moral issue is in front of them. Um, so yeah, I, I totally agree though about the, the, the anti-villain, I would say is the person who is like inwardly quite clear, quite happy. They might, we might even say they're, they're rather honorable in their own way. Their motivations are actually quite good. But on the outside, they're doing objectively horrible things like killing <laughs> half the universe uh, or uh, fomenting armed revolution where lots of people are going to die in the case of Killmonger, right? I mean, I think if you looked just at... that, This is why Black Panther was such a fascinating movie. If you looked just at the philosophical conversation that Killmonger and Black Panther have like on the, on the bridge at the end, it's hard to disagree with either one of them. Internally, they're both quite heroic. But outwardly, there's a really big difference in their actions. And so that's why I'd say Black Panther is the hero, because his actions line up with his inward state. But Killmonger is an anti-villain, because he's still inwardly heroic, but outwardly is quite, uh, quite disgusting. <laughs> the other, uh, just other examples of an anti-villain real fast, I think would be someone like Adrian Veidt from Watchmen. Hmm. And maybe... Uh, this one, I'm not sure. I'd have to keep thinking about this. But maybe the character V from V for Vendetta. Mm. Oh, yeah. Sure. <clears throat> so. What is, I'm curious, what do you find heroic about Killmonger? I think that it's hard to argue with uh, his anger at the isolation of, uh, or what the isolation of um, Wakanda has led to. I mean, I think that his I mean, he, he was making a lot of the same points as Nakia, right? About how we don't need, we shouldn't just be keeping to ourselves. We need to help the people around the world who, who need help. Granted, he wanted to do it violently and, and she didn't. But I think that that desire to, I think he really wanted to make the world a better place. He just had a rather twisted way of going about it. I think with Killmonger... It's, it's interesting because this is more this is more the anti-villain conversation, but I think that, that it, this gives yeah. us some hints at what we're going to see when we start diving into this anti-hero conversation. The problem I have with with Killmonger is that I sympathize with him greatly, uh, and the question is: Does he turn into a Frank Castle, or does he turn into maybe more of a Han Solo? And and you could even get me to say that actually Frank Castle is maybe an anti-villain too, the more we talk about this, right? But one of the things I would say about Killmonger is I would say his end goal, though, is there's, that, there's the definition I talked about where I said, if you want to be superior then, as opposed to being equal with. And Killmonger yeah. very specifically says, I'm going to help out uh, specifically underprivileged, um, primarily black people, so that we can take over the world, yeah. 
to me that that turns it. You turn that now. Yeah. That, now I'm not saying that's not justified because of what's been done to him and the hurt that's been done to him. I'm not saying that there isn't a certain amount of justice in that. Just like you could say there's a certain amount of justice in Frank Castle getting revenge against all the people that killed his family. But at the same time, am I willing to call him his motivations good? I'm like, well, no, because he's actually going to topple other people to get his way. Yeah. Yeah, most other people. Like, honestly, I I don't equate Killmonger to like a Han Solo or a Frank Castle. I kind of equate him to Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, he was going for domination of one race over all the others yeah from a place of hurt like right so him wanting justice coming from that place of hurt is totally relatable totally understandable but i think he's in a way so that hitler isn't right <laughs> probably yeah i mean yeah i would yeah. Th- yeah yeah right. but his his methodology is so far gone that i just don't think there's anything heroic about it yeah and one of the reasons I think that is if you take every reasonable member of African-Americans or whatever the specific people group is, he sure. was trying to raise up. Yeah. Every reasonable one of them would probably think, no, I'm not with you, dude. Yeah. Like, right. that's not what I'm after. You <laughs> right, know, right. So. the objective isn't to become the top dog necessarily. It's become more, more equality, a respected piece of the whole. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's interesting because one of the definitions that I've seen before is someone who does this is this is a weird one for me but who does the right thing but does it in immoral ways and I don't like that definition and I'll, and the reason I don't like the definition is because there's too many definitions of moral and what moral what it means to be moral um and and I so I don't think we can get into arguments about well what is Morality. So the first thing I like to say is, can we all just agree that the golden rule is basically is the baseline for all morality, right? Like I treat you the way that you want to be treated and anything that goes towards that, if we're moving the world towards that, that everyone is treated equally and that we're all treated the same, we all get the same kind of um, respect, baseline respect Mm -hmm. that we care for each other then that leads me to believe you're going more towards being a hero, even if you are reluctant to do so at times. Yeah. The opposite of that being that, no, 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 there are some people who should win and some people who should lose because I don't believe in the golden rule. I believe that I should win over you. I think that's what leads me to believe you're on the villain side. And antiheroes just barely fit into that, okay, you just got above the tier, even though most of the time you'd be like, I really want to operate in my own little world and not worry about what's going on around me. Yeah. So, uh, just so I'm following, Thanos isn't a villain then, right? How would Thanos not be a villain in that scenario? Uh, He was happy to sacrifice himself. Well, I mean, maybe I'm being exaggerated here. He wasn't happy for it, but he did. He he chose to sacrifice. Uh, We're just putting a big spoiler warning on everything we're saying with this episode, right? That's our show. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Everything is a a spoiler alert on the Stray Geeks podcast. (laughs) Watch every movie before you listen to our show. (laughs) So, uh, I mean, he he treated the universe the way he wanted to be treated. He, He was not against losing things for the sake of balancing the universe. Uh, I mean, he wasn't happy about it. He, he didn't want to kill Gamora, but he recognized that it was necessary, and so he did it. And, and so I think 
he and that's why I think the golden rule is is obviously good, but I I, I think there are w- weird cases where it does it isn't going to work. Like if I genuinely want someone to cut off my hand, then if I'm I'm not all right, I I'm going to treat you the way I want to be treated, so I'm going to cut off your hand. Like if I if I have a bad idea about what is good for me, then the golden rule isn't really going to work. And I think maybe that's the problem with Thanos that he he was committed to something more than just even his own well-being. He was committed to this kind of big principle of of of, of balance or or something like that. And yeah. Well, I think so, that that's what we run into in in moral arguments a lot, right? Like just look at like modern day moral arguments where you go well, I have decided that this one moral standard that I hold means that I can de- now put down other people around me. Well, then yeah. you've broken the golden rule. That's not what would happen in the golden rule. And I think that the, the, the and, I, and I, I'm sure we could come up with more complex examples, but one of the issues with like the chopping off your hand example is that is actually causing harm. Like one of the things that, that Thanos is doing is that he believes that a reduction of the population will solve the resource constraint issues. But the problem with that is he's willing to harm other people to achieve a moral standard. That moral standard being the lack of resources or something like, so when we talk about harming and, and hurting other people, I think anytime you're going to say like, well, you know, I'm, I, I want to die or I want other people to die so that the world can be happier. I don't, I think that that's a false start because that's actually not really adherent to the golden rule being that everyone gets treated with respect and everyone gets treated. There's no harm. We're trying not to harm anyone. Like every human life is valuable. Okay, well, let me move on to the next question because you're getting there. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> um, so this is one aspect of morality. It's a huge one, but it's one that maybe we can kind of clarify there. So you're talking about harming other people. I want to take that one step further and talk about killing. Mm, yeah. So does killing automatically make a character an antihero? Anthony, why don't you jump in on that one first? Uh, so I'm going to say probably, yeah, but it depends on the world of the story. Totally, yeah. I mean, there's uh, it depends, yeah, there's settings where killing is no big deal. There's settings where it totally matters. Yeah, like in, in, um, in, in Star Wars, for example, I mean, there were a lot of people who died when the Death Star blew up. Um, what was that? Did you guys ever see Clerks? This is not really a geek movie. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it is, but kinda, they, I mean, it has Kevin Smith. Yeah, it has to be Kevin Smith. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they, they're like they're talking about all of the the independent contractors who got killed when the Death Star blew oh, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, uh, th- that's not really the focus of the movie. So I, I, don't, I don't know if that's going to uh, harm Luke Skywalker's status as straight hero. But I, I do think that it, if 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 it is a like a big plot point, not not just killing, but uh, like murdering someone, I I do think that's going to really have some. It's going to severely affect at least the way that I, I read the character, and this is one of the main reasons. And I'm kind of glad that we're not in the same room when I'm about to say this, but this is one of the main reasons why I had severe problems with Man of Steel. Mm. Because I, I very much did not like the ending to that with Superman um, actually committing murder. The, because it, yeah, it, it, Superman, especially in the way that um, 
he was portrayed in that movie was basically Jesus. And yes, it's true. <laughs> like the idea of, of Jesus killing somebody, it, it seems like something less than what Superman would do. Mm. Uh, he's the hero. He's entirely, entirely good, entirely um, helpful to everybody, blah, 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 but not there. So, um, yeah, that's... That's it'd, a start it'd be safe for you to say that in this room, by the way. We would we would not harm you for saying no. That. <laughs> yeah, not at all. <laughs> you, you wouldn't. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> I thought I thought you were uh, I thought thought you were more on on board the the uh, killer Superman train. But I love the movie. I love Man of Steel to oh, death. Okay. It's one of my favorite superhero movies, probably somewhere in the top ten. Yeah, but um, I actually had a problem with that the first time I saw it too. I, I come to accept it because I recognize what Zack Snyder was going for. I know he was mm-hmm. trying to give Superman ex- a, an experience that would catalyze him to never want to kill anybody, you know? Yeah, so yeah that's I, true. I get that, but yeah, it was hard for me to watch yeah. all of the movie's problems be solved by Superman killing. Hmm. Yep. That was, that was a tough pill to swallow, I will say. Yeah. I'm actually going to use the exact same example, but I'm going to take it the totally opposite direction. <laughs> um, awesome. So I think that that no killing does not automatically make a character an antihero. Um, and and he, I'm going to go again to uh, killing is not heroic. I don't think so, period. <laughs> um, but occasionally I think heroes are forced to kill for the betterment of humankind. So then you, you know, bring up Thanos again, right? Like... Um, but before we go back to there, I think the hero should never set out to kill. Like, that's the first step, right? Like, you should try to solve the problem in, look at Captain America. The guy never sets out to kill anybody, but along the way, he might have to um, just because there's a situation that wherein, wherein that hero cannot avoid it. Um, well, and he was born out of war. Right, right. I mean, war is definitely one of those situations where it's kill or be killed. Yeah. But see, here's the thing. I do think that in order for the hero to truly be a hero, they have to want even the villain to change and better themselves prior to a death situation. So in other words, like take, take the um, take the the Luke Skywalker approaching Vader, right? So if you contrast Luke Skywalker and Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, I believe, is a hero. I believe that Han Solo is an antihero, right? Han yeah. Solo does the right thing, but the situation has to align itself to being advantageous for him to do so, sort of like, right? Yeah. Whereas with Luke Skywalker, he turns himself into the Emperor so that he can try and turn Darth Vader to the light side. Um, he's willing to sacrifice far more than Han is willing to sacrifice on the front end of this thing. So to me, I think um, if the good guy or the good gal aims to kill the bad guy or the bad gal, if that's their first, if that's their go-to, then that's going to be somebody who's an anti-hero at best, right? Mm-hmm. It's not going to be a straight-up hero. But I don't think that killing somebody makes them automatically um, – th- I don't think that uh, killing automatically makes someone an anti-hero. And I think actually the, the uh, what I've been thinking about, Anthony, is that as you described like the, the tormented person or the tortured person – Man of Steel, if if that if that goes to towards your definition of of antihero, then definitely yep. like Superman is an antihero in that movie. 
everyone in the DCEU is. <laughs> Except for maybe Aquaman. Yeah. Maybe not Aquaman. And probably not uh, probably not Wonder Woman. But maybe. I, yeah, maybe. I mean, I mean the, her whole struggle with uh, like leaving Themyscira and uh, wanting to live up to her... her uh, her upbringing, yeah, not yeah. but, her but mom she's come, very clearly out for to protect people. I mean, yes, by the end, by yeah. the by the end of, of well, even movie, in the yes, beginning, definitely. she's like, she's like, she wants, she knows that Ares is coming and nobody's prepared for it, and she wants to go help people and protect them from him. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, you're right. But in my you're notes, right. I had the same example, Anthony, that you had because I, I thought I thought I was thinking Man of Steel, a movie which I also mm-hmm. love. I have I have problems with Man of Steel far more from a storytelling standpoint than what they did to Superman standpoint, <laughs> but um, I think that the anti-hero isn't going to make the sacrifice that the hero is going to make. That's just not going to happen. They'll make a sacrifice perhaps, but it's nowhere to the extent that the hero is willing to sacrifice. And I think that in Man of Steel, the reason why that kill that kill Superman killing Zod is so controversial is that we don't want our heroes to be sullied by that kind of violence. Yeah. We don't want that to be the case. Um, but I think what Zack Snyder did well in that film is that when Superman makes that kill, he does so at last resort and only when it's like, you've given me a seemingly binary choice at this point in time. There's a family that's gonna die, or I take out Zod. It's it's one or the other. Yeah, I mean, given the ridiculous level of carnage and death that led <laughs> up to that, it's yeah. it's very well. That's my storytelling. It's problem. very arbitrary that oh <laughs> right. wait, this one family matters more than those thousands of others that have all died. <laughs> right, so, right, right, right. That's right. So so I but but in, in that specific case, I think he's doing it as a last resort. And I do agree that the other the other uh, the giant battle, the god battle, yeah. is problematic for those reasons, for yeah. sure. But in this kind of choice, uh, this this choice of how to handle this, I think that um, it's handled okay. And I would contrast him with the Punisher because on the Punisher, the Punisher goes to violence first. The Punisher yeah, does, does not give a shit. <laughs> like if you stand in his <laughs> way and you happen to be a bad guy, you're dying. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Goodbye. So, and same thing with Deadpool, right? So yeah. I think it just is about the commitment. The hero has a commitment to violence only as a last resort, and especially death as a last resort. Yeah. Where the anti-hero can resort to violence first because they don't care as much about other people. Yeah, I think I, I side a little bit more with you. I'm, I'm more in the camp of killing does not automatically make a character an anti-hero. I think about characters like, like what keeps coming to my mind is contrasting Punisher with the Wolverine. We're going to have a blast when we get to start talking about characters. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. a couple questions away. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I, for me, it still comes back to motivation. Is the motivation at the core to help other people? Is it still a initially selfless motivation? Mm-hmm. Even, even if it's a dark path to get there. So look at somebody like the Punisher. I honestly don't feel like the Punisher is out there to make other people's lives better. <laughs> right. I right. don't think he cares about that. I right. think he cares about feeling a sense of revenge and killing every bad guy he can find. Yeah. It's a personal self-satisfaction kind of thing. And then take a look at Wolverine. Wolverine kills people just as freely as the Punisher does, 
But I feel like, at least in most iterations, you know, it, it always depends on who's writing or whatever it is, but in most iterations, I feel like Wolverine truly is acting heroically. He wants to protect people. He wants to help people. He's willing to do bad things to get there. Right. But in both of their cases, they don't go so far as to be a villain because these people that they are killing are people who have presumably done something bad and deserve some level of punishment and have reasonably taken away their right to choose whether they live or die mm. in some way. Yeah. So that's why Thanos is a villain. Right. Because Thanos is talking about wiping out trillions of people who don't deserve punishment. Yeah. I mean, we all deserve punishment to some degree, but who don't have, don't have the right to choose. <laughs> just just throw out, just slide that little. Well, nobody's perfect. <laughs> <Not> but <laughs> just slide that little sentence in and keep going. <laughs> no, no, nobody's perfect. I'm not claiming that. But Everybody deserves punishment to some degree. Yeah, but let's yeah, move on. We're all awful. <laughs> but <laughs> but awesome. no, I, I mean, these people, they have no say in the matter. Yeah, right. And they right. haven't done anything to deserve being wiped out. So... So there were there were two things in what you said earlier, Jay. That uh, well, the two things that you made me think. One was a specific thing, and one was a more broad thing. The specific thing was about Star Wars. Mm. I'd never thought about this before. Uh, I, I'm right in thinking that the only there's only one scene where Darth Vader and Han Solo directly interact. Right when when he walks in uh, at the end of Empire with in Cloud City. Yep, that's the only yeah. one that I'm aware of. Yeah. Well, and and what was carbonite freezing? Thing. Well, oh, well, sure. yeah, but, and then every, everything that leads, you know, everything that follows yeah. after yeah, that. Yeah, that happens. But, um, but the only time that they meet, so to speak, is is right there when when they walk into the conference room. And what is the very first thing that Han Solo like? What is his reaction? <laughs> he shoots at him. <laughs> he shoots at him. Yeah. Right. Like, like that is. I think that that is a really great example of what you were saying. How the the antihero is just immediately without even thinking. He's going for the kill. To, but that's and, war, right? I mean, that's that's a wartime situation. Yeah, well, well, I think it, it illustrates Jay's point really well yeah. that that Han Solo is different from Luke Skywalker in that regard. How yes. Luke is sacrificial yeah. and, and Han Solo isn't. Right. But um, I think what we're dancing around, and I had I'd not really thought about this until you started talking, Jay, is that um, this is kind of a... It reminds me of the kind of philosophical disagreement about war broadly and pacifism. Mm. Uh, and when you're talking about war being necessary and uh, you used a couple of phrases like how it has to be a last resort, what he does is like there's no other choice. You know, there's this whole tradition. Everybody agrees. Everybody who, who like talks about the ethics of war agrees for the most part, that war is bad. That, that, you, right. know, you, don't, you don't want war. war <laughs> like, nobody thinks war is great. But the question is, is it necessary sometimes for other reasons? And if it is, there's this entire rich philosophical tradition called just war theory, just in the sense of justice, trying to come up with all sorts of rules to follow in order to make sure that if you're going to fight a war, then it, ha it has to kind of follow these guidelines in order for it to be fought in the right way. And there's, I mean, there, there's a handful, off the top of my head, I'm sure I don't remember them all, but there, there's a handful of, I think, pretty obvious rules that, like, um, you have to not intentionally target non-combatants. You have mm, to, yeah. uh, uh, there, there's the, the law of, uh, of, 
not just desserts, but it has to be proportional. Mm. You know, if, if you punch me in the face, I can't drop a nuclear bomb on your house. Like, that's, not, <laughs> right. that's not proportional. So like there's there's all sorts of these constraints in the just war tradition trying to do exactly what you were what both of you were, were just saying. Like um, maybe it's not good in the perfect sense. It wouldn't be happening, but it might be necessary because of this other you know problem. And so maybe you're thinking of, of the antihero more along those those just war kind of traditions. Whereas I maybe was approaching it more from the pacifistic sort of side saying, no, I think it's just bad. (laughs) (laughs) But then there's other, like both of these views have strengths and both of them have weaknesses because there's difficult cases that you can bring to both of them. So yeah, it's, uh, uh, that reminds me of the, uh, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was Mm -hmm. his whole life, a pacifist, but was, still convinced to be a part of a plot to assassinate Hitler. And that's pretty mind blowing that someone could be a pacifist their entire life and then say, I'm going to make this this different change. But I would say that probably some pacifists would still say, no, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have gotten involved in that plot, no matter how dire the situation was. Um, And that's that's tough. I actually for me personally, I want to believe that I could last as long as Luke Skywalker, (laughs) right? Like (laughs) I want to, I want to believe that I think for, for, if you believe in a higher power, especially, and you say no pacifism at all costs, you're basically saying I'm willing to let myself and my comfort level be completely taken advantage of in order Mm -hmm. not to hurt other people. And I'm going to stand behind that. And I think that 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 is actually if I'm, you know, even more heroic than Captain America or even more heroic than Superman to say I'm never even going to punch. But I think that that's we especially in the United States. That is I mean, the the United States grew out of war. There wouldn't be a United States if we didn't say we're tired of your taxes, you know, and your (laughs) oppressive behavior, Britain. which, by the way, most of our fans are from the UK. So, yeah, hey, so don't piss them off. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. We have more fans from the, U- the UK than we do from the US. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of us might switch presidents. <laughs> oh, <laughs> might, yes. trade, might trade presidents with you. But, but regardless of that, I think pacifism <laughs> itself has, a, uh, has such an amazing, honorable component to it where other people have said it's – I've heard people call pacifists weak, and I, and I think to myself, they're stronger. They're stronger to to be to go through anything, sure, and not to raise their fist or raise their guns or whatever. Can I poke a hole in the Luke Skywalker thing? Sure, <laughs> or at least attempt to. Yeah, yeah. Oh wait, before you do that, can I say one thing? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Then you poke your hole. Yeah. There's a really hilarious meme that's out there. I, I found it one time and I sent it to my brothers and stuff, but it's so funny because it's a, it's a screenshot of um, them walking into the dinner room with uh, Darth Vader and Boba Fett yeah. and the stormtroopers, And then of course it's, you know, Han Solo and Leia and Lando. And it says the, the meme is um, <laughs> the meme is, Darth Vader went and prepared this awesome giant feast for everybody, and Han Solo had to just go and be a dick and start shooting at everybody. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. So if you can find that meme, it's a really funny meme. Anyways, go ahead. Poke the hole in the Luke theory. Well, I, I mean, we've, we're putting Luke out there as sort of the gold standard of a hero, which 
Ah. He's a fantastic hero for sure. But if Vader was not his father, would he have cared so much? That's a good question. I think not. That's a good question. I mean, I think that was the core motivation for his desire for redemption for Vader rather than just killing him. Interesting. So, I mean, maybe that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother show, but... Well, and he, he went back on that later on in life, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's just what I was thinking of, yeah. Like, if that... I've, it's a question I've never considered, but it it does really make me want to th- go watch The Last Jedi again, too. <laughs> totally. Totally. Well, then I've done my job. <laughs> like, with that in mind. Well, I think... So, this is this is brings up a really interesting point, too. And, and I know we have a lot of other questions to get to, but... I honestly, in your line of thinking, Daryl, mm-hmm. where you say most of us, or not mind, most, every single one of us is ultimately uh, not perfect. We have bad components to us. Yeah, and I don't believe anybody can be 100% selfless. Right. I don't believe anybody's 100% a dick. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but, but That's literally. That's not what I said. Yeah, <laughs> no, but literally. Literally, I, I, I do believe that every single person is, has an inability to be perfect, which means that for us to talk about who's a perfect hero, like the definition actually has been the bar is so high that none of us can be a perfect hero. Right. Think, of all the, think of all the heroes throughout history that were only heroes because in their time period, they did some amazing things. But when we look back at, at some of the other things they did, George Washington had slaves. Yeah. Like, so you, you look <laughs> yeah. at this and you go, you can deconstruct just about any hero we hold as on a pedestal today. Yeah. It's pretty well documented. And I, and I don't know that this is this is 100% true, so I'm not going to claim that it's 100% true. But allegedly, there's evidence that Martin Luther King Jr., one of the modern day heroes for sure, was having extramarital affairs with other women. Yeah. So well, and if you go farther, even go even farther back. Look at biblical heroes. Mm. A lot of our heroes are people who have yeah, made a radical change. Yes, right. Yeah, I'm not just talking about Jesus, but I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like you've got but, one. But if, if your standard is perfection, you've got yes, one. Yes, that we do have that standard. Yes, right. but I mean the 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 purely human heroes that we have yeah. in the Bible. Look at Paul. He's one of the greatest heroes of the Bible, but. He was a monster first. Right. And so you have this radical change. Right. right, So, yeah, uh, perfection. And I think that this is partly what motivated the motivated my definition to be rooted in something other than motivation, because I do think if your standard is perfection, you're not going to have too many heroes who qualify. Uh, So... I think I just tried to give it up and say, well, let's let's define hero by something else, yeah. which is a little more possible, maybe. Yeah. Or not, maybe not possible, but it's, it's just kind of shifting the game, so to speak. Well, I like the way you're going about thinking through it, because even as I kind of like the motivation viewpoint, I am recognizing that, yeah, I mean, first of all, if you don't have a motivation that is, I want all people to be seen as, successful, equal, valuable human beings who should not be harmed because they fall into another tribe or another people group that I don't like, right? Um, you, that, that 
that definition alone is difficult because think of all the people who have hurt you. I can still, there are still scenarios that my wife and I will, will bring up from time to time that we've encountered in life. And I instantly go into rage monster mode. And I'm like, if oh, I was yeah. just back in that scenario, I would just, you know, like, and I think that like, oh, but then I have to think for a second. Well, I might be at best an anti-hero at that point if I was to actually get in a fight with that person. Cause by the way, that person deserved it. But the more heroic I route. apologize. <laughs> guarantee, guarantee you it was not Daryl. Grudge. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, my point being like, I do think that like, even, even if we have the proper motivation because of our imperfection, we're not going to execute on it. Well, right. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the motivation I don't think can be perfect. I mean, right. It's always informed by something else. And I think we'll get into that a little bit more when we talk about some specific characters. But before we do that, I want to just go to one more question. And this might be the first question in the history of the Story Geeks to which the answer is simply no. <laughs> so that, that's quite possible. <laughs> but that's never an answer on the Story Geeks podcast. I know. <laughs> but I wanted to ask it anyway. So, you know, most of these characters that we're talking about are crossing some level of line into anti-hero because they're associated with you know working outside the law or working outside a standard of decency you know they're violent they kill there's all these dark things associated with them and i'm just wondering have we ever seen somebody that we would qualify as an anti-hero who is not associated with violence and again the answer might just be no (laughs) So I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, I got nothing. Huh. So I've, it's a really interesting question. And I had this big, long list of anti-heroes and they're all violent, I, right? They're all, or if they're not, vi- even if they're not violent, they all are operating outside the boundaries of the law. Mm-hmm. That, at least all the ones that I could come up with. Yeah. No, I, I actually, probably the answer is no, but because it's, I'm who I am. I still came up with a long answer, <laughs> but I, I was thinking about it. Like, well, even if the answer is simply no, that tells us something, right? Like yeah. That helps us reach our it definition. Does. It does. Yeah, it does. That's a really good point. I think that the answer to the question is somewhat dependent upon the, the situation or the settings view of what law and decency mean, because if the system is more corrupt rather than less corrupt, then we might get an anti-hero who appears to be living within the boundaries of the law. Whereas if the system the anti-hero is in is less corrupt, then they're more likely to be subverting social norms. And we might label them as like, oh, they're a weirdo, right? Like, so I think in my definition, the anti-hero starts off caring more about themselves than they do others most of the time. The laws of, the definition of decency or laws um, are there to benefit the majority of people. Yeah. Um, so if we as the audience see the system as corrupt, then we don't view Batman's violence, for example, as harshly. Because we go, well, he's in a corrupt system. What's he going to do? Right? Um, we sort of think maybe it's impossible to make a difference in that corrupt system without violence. So we'll, we'll allow for it. <laughs> right? But if, but if Batman was in like a really nice suburban area <laughs> and some kids are like kicking the ball down in the neighbor's yard and trespassing and Batman beats the crap out of them. jumped out and said, swear to me! <laughs> Exactly. They're like, ah, Batman seems a little off the handle at this point, right? Um, so I think that it's weird. I think it's, I think it's a kind of a, 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 an interesting question because I think 
the way that the story sets up the the rules that it's playing by then gives us a different view on it because if you look at the spectrum of superheroes that we see or anti-heroes even that we see like rocket raccoon is farther into the anti-hero zone than batman is and why because rocket does indecent things when they aren't needed to be done <laughs> you know I'm gonna need that guy's leg. Yeah. No, he does not need the guy's <laughs> leg. That arm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, he doesn't need the guy's leg. He, but he steals it from him anyways. Despite the fact that, like, for the greater population, he's doing good things. Like, he's still doing these, you know, jackass things as he's going about his life. And so, I think it's. I, I would say the answer is no, but I think we give greater leniency to the antiheroes who are operating in very obviously corrupt systems as opposed to those who are operating in what seem to be more utopian in yeah. nature. And I think that's why if, uh, if, if the question was just about boundaries of the law, then, um, yeah, then, then I, I, I would have probably had more names on a list, right? But decency too. I mean, that, that's that's where it throws me off because even even some of the the characters who are like fighting back against a corrupt system or something they're still doing things that are and, and this maybe goes back to what we were talking about earlier about violence and killing they're doing things that are that seem indecent so mm -hmm. uh, or immoral or some, something like that so yeah uh, yeah, the actual answer was still yeah. no. I couldn't think of anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I got no, yeah. And that was weird. I was really, I thought like, surely there's got to be somebody. But it, I, I don't know. I kind of want to keep thinking about this just because oh, it's got to be somebody. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe, maybe someone in Britain can tell us. Yeah, yeah. The UK might be. Your big They're smarter UK. than we are anyways, right? That's right. Okay, so I feel like we've talked about antiheroes from a whole bunch of different angles. And I think we're starting to inch towards... A unified definition but let's look at some specific characters for a while here and I'm gonna save Batman because I know we're gonna argue about Batman so <laughs> I'm gonna save I that put one another one now. on there that I think we might argue about too okay okay let's start with what motivated us to do this episode to begin with which is Venom um, and if you want Jay and I have seen Venom and if you want to hear what we think about it then listen to the aftercast of this episode and um, I hope you don't love it because we don't, but um, <laughs> Daryl especially does not. <laughs> this was the uh, it was the motivation for talking about antiheroes because we knew Venom was coming out, and we were like, "Well, what can we do in correlation with Venom?" And we're like, "Well, let's talk about antiheroes because Venom is definitely one of the most popular ones right now." So let's talk about some of these characters. Let's talk about what makes them an antihero, and we can even argue as to whether or not they are an antihero. But let's start with Venom. Do you guys think that Venom is definitely an anti-hero? <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear Anthony's answer first, for sure. Well, when he is the main character, yeah, yeah, I, th I think he probably is. Um, when, like, in the last ten years in the comics, he's he's really become a central figure. He's he's had. I've lost track of how many like children the venom symbiote has has had i mean it started with carnage and now there's there's like literally there's like six or seven or eight of them out there there's a new one that just came out in an issue last month or something uh, and and so they've really uh he was he was like working for shield for a while in the comics so yeah 
Yeah, I think he's he's um, especially with with what I was saying earlier about the duality between kind of the internal struggle and, and the outward action. I mean, that's that's kind of a big thing for Venom always. Back when he was first introduced, I think that was a different story. You know, when he was actually in in, in Spider Man and was a Spider Man villain. But now he now he's like actually working with Spider Man in some of the recent stories. So, I, and I should say, I've not seen the Venom movie. I'm basing my comments off of just the the comic books. Sure. But. My comment, and actually, this is motivated by the movie because I haven't read a whole lot of Venom comics, especially not since he became more of a heroic figure. I read more of it like back when he was first introduced. But I I would actually go so far as to say in the movie. Venom, in my mind, might technically not be an anti-hero because it's two personalities. Right. It's, you would have to ask, is Eddie Brock an Mm anti-hero? And I don't think so. I mean, I don't think Eddie Brock (laughs) is doing anything terrible. I mean, you know what I mean? And is Venom an anti-hero? I'm like, well, no, I think Venom's pretty clearly a monster that wants to eat people. So <laughs> I don't think there's anything heroic there. Oh, that's how they went with it. Yeah, so there's nice. two distinct personalities. And when you put them together, hmm. there's a conflict that feels anti-hero-ish. But I think since it's two personalities, it actually doesn't qualify. That's my take on Dude, it. Yeah, I had the same answer. Really? And I've only seen really the movie, too. So I'm like, yeah. Venom's super straight-up villain. And Eddie Brock <laughs> is sort of a hero. Yeah. But... You combine them and you don't get anti-hero. You yeah. get like weird hybrid thing. <laughs> it's very, it's very strange. Yeah, so I could not agree more based on based on the movie alone. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, in uh, now I haven't read a lot of books with Venom in them, but for the most part, uh, I, I don't, I don't think they, excuse me, they don't do a lot with like what you're saying. It, it is more one figure. The, the symbiote doesn't really talk to yeah. Eddie Brock or, or to somebody else, whoever's wearing the symbiote. Um, not as much as it sounds like happens in the movie, at least. Yeah. So they are more unified in the books. Mm. In the movie, they, t- they talk to each other. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like that's Firestorm. It's in like, awkward ways. It's like there's two characters in the head. Yeah. yeah that's, that sounds really different. Yeah, it is. Mm. It's pretty weird. <laughs> um, okay, let's go through some other characters and let's err on the side of talking about them more briefly so we can cover more ground but we've talked a lot about the Punisher I think the Punisher is a quintessential anti-hero in my opinion I, I actually am gonna I've had an epiphany while doing this podcast oh boy in the middle of this podcast because I had de- I had originally said I think the Punisher is definitely an anti-hero but he's super close to crossing the line into villain territory mm-hmm. and I'm actually shifting my my viewpoint on that a little bit because I think because I am a citizen of the United States who generally likes to think that our the the men and women in our service uh, in the service armed services are really awesome people. I've kind of labeled him as well. He's got to be a hero then, right? Because he's against bad guys and stuff like that. But honestly, at this point in the podcast, I cannot see a big difference between him and Killmonger. Uh, it's except for the two the two people groups that they're. So supposedly supporting it's just that he's supporting like u.s people kind of like you know Hmm. so i'm gonna label him as a villain i don't think he's an anti-hero anymore i think that he's a villain that sometimes he's on the right side and then other times he's not on the right side he's just straight up a villain interesting so i've changed my mind what do you think about the punisher anthony uh yeah i think he's a villain um i i think that he is 
uh, rather twisted. And but I, I think he is rather confident that what he's doing is is right, but what he's doing is is obviously very wrong. Even when he's killing, you know, horrible people, he's still doing it in uh, uh, exceedingly unnecessary ways. Like even if we want to kind of like for the sake of argument, grant that that killing would be okay. He's still going uh, overboard with that. Uh, and I, I guess I, I am thinking here of like the, the Netflix Punisher series as well as his character in the comic books. Um, that said, I do think that the Punisher is what uh, Bruce Wayne would have done if he was raised by the military and didn't have any money. It's <laughs> true. <laughs> So uh, that may affect what we are going to talk about later when we get to Batman. Uh, I think there is one difference, I, though, in the, in the Punisher and Batman, and that's that Batman's experience transforms him into wanting a better city that's free from corruption, whereas, at least initially speaking, the Punisher is more about, I'm just going to kill the people that are, that are evil to me, and then as I encounter other evil people, well, I'll just kill them too. Mm-hmm. I I, th- I think the big difference is Alfred, for that. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. He has, he Batman actually has an influence. Yeah, yeah. I still put Punisher in the in the antihero category because, as far as I know, he doesn't kill innocent people, right? As far as I know, Not but like if you watch the Netflix series, <laughs> yeah. it is he is an interesting it's, dude. Is there collateral? It is not very damage? often. Yeah. There's a lot of. It is not very often that I watch something and I think, "Wow, that was violent." But <laughs> yeah. oh my god, yeah, I didn't see it, violent. so I don't have that context. It's really good, and it shows that I don't. It is really. Good. I don't think it actually. I didn't get the impression that it actually said that violence was like a good thing per se. No, because it, he's going through some just trauma after trauma after trauma, but it is difficult to watch at times because of how violent it is sure mm-hmm. i i uh I, th- I think john bernthal really did a an amazing oh, job with great. that character yeah the uh, only thing i don't did, like about john bernthal because I, I love what he does is that i don't i have not seen him in a role yet where i experienced any form of joy <laughs> during yeah. his time <laughs> he, doesn't, yeah. he doesn't want you to be happy <laughs> he just he's not, so intense yeah, he's just like <laughs> not at all uh yeah. Um, there, I j- you know, uh, to, for me, the Punisher, I just don't care enough about him, so I'll just go ahead and agree with you guys. Like, sure, yeah. <laughs> there is there is one Punisher scene in the comic books that I think everybody should read, mainly because it's actually a Captain America scene, but it's in the Civil War books um, where the Punisher, like, tries to... Because, like, the Punisher is obsessed with Captain America. He's, like, he, he wants Captain America... He, he wants to, like, be Captain America. I think he probably thinks he is Captain America, mm-hmm. But he's like, you know, the violent version. Well, and to make a long story short, in the in Civil War, in the comic books, he does something to try and help Captain America's kind of underground team, and Cap just goes off on him and like literally beats him to a pulp, beats the Punisher to a Whoa. pulp because yeah, it is, and it is a really powerful scene uh, because the Punisher doesn't fight back because it's Captain America. Mm. It, it's a really interesting scene. It tells you a lot about about Frank Castle as a as a character. Cool. Yeah, that's crazy. But. Wow. Okay, I'm gonna go for one more here before we go to Batman, just because I think the context of this is really interesting. Um, let's talk about Daryl Dixon from The Walking Dead, which is also timely because as we record this, The Walking Dead season nine premieres pretty much right now. Oh, nice. 
But um, what do you guys think about Daryl Dixon? What what is an what does an antihero look like in a post-apocalyptic context? Do you think Daryl is an antihero? What do you think, Anthony? I, I kind of know where Jay stands on this. So what do you think, Anthony? I don't really have much to say about Daryl Dixon because I've never really watched The Walking Dead. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Easy answer. I mean, Easy answer. Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen one or two episodes here or there. I, I read the books. I played the really awesome game that apparently is not going to get finished by Telltale because mm, yeah, they just they went got, out of yeah, business. Uh, but he's not he's not in the books and he's not in the game either at least not as far as I went yeah so and I guess you could really apply really this to question to just about anybody from that show because they all do terrible mm-hmm. things but <laughs> yeah. but he's sort of like they put him out there as the badass so he's sort of like the one that comes to mind but mm-hmm. I don't know does that context as a post-apocalyptic context negate the sort of characteristics that push somebody into the anti-hero category is it or is it just every man for himself think, do what you got to do doesn't matter uh well maybe maybe jay maybe you or jay should take this more because like i said i don't really know but i do think <laughs> if you're gonna if you if you are gonna have your idea of an anti-hero framed mainly about motivation then i i do think a post-apocalyptic scenario changes everything because there's this there's there's this idea in some kinds of political philosophy called the social contract and the walking dead is actually a really great example of what happens when there is no social contract when when civilization crumbles and all of these things that keep us moral that keep us behaving appropriately are just gone now and um like this, this English philosopher named Thomas Hobbes said that life in the social contract is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. And life in the state of nature, I mean, you know, where there is no social contract. And and so we just you just got to do what you got to do to survive. You do whatever. There's there are no rules really. Um, and so you band together with other people to make little social contracts to try and kind of extend your life. But it's hard to say you're doing something wrong when there aren't any rules there to break. Mm. I would say he is for sure an antihero. We, we talked about this a little bit already. Yeah, yeah. I think that he we, has. In fact, a, we did a list of our top five favorite antiheroes, and he's on both of our lists. Well, he so. got he got he got pushed down to number six on mine because I well, cause I, I cheated, forgot. But I, yeah, well, I forgot. And and <laughs> yeah, you, if you want to hear why we're saying all this, you got to go listen to the Patreon and the actually the last podcast and then the Patreon. Yeah, yeah. But um. I think he's for sure, uh, for sure, an antihero because he fits very well into Anthony's um, prior definition of what you talked about, like somebody who's really tortured and who's had a very difficult life, but is ultimately like trying to do the right thing despite that, and trying to protect the people around him, but also recognizing that the world is inherently super dangerous. Um, I think he fits the definition really, really well. Which yeah, is why he made my list at such a high. <laughs> Hype plays. Yeah, I think the reason it seems to make a good amount of sense for him, maybe more than some of the other characters on the show, is because in the context of The Walking Dead, most of the time you do have this ensemble of characters trying to make life better, trying to make people safer, trying to build a community where people can come and be safe. So there really is some altruism there. Whereas Daryl, I think stumbled into this group and most of the time is really mostly about his own survival 
and sort of aligns with this group that's trying to help people in order to stay alive. And then he builds relationships over time. And maybe that shifted. Maybe he was an anti-hero when they started and now he's not. So I, I don't know. But I just think that the context is interesting. If you're down to the, the absolute core motivation of simply survival. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I, see, I, I don't know if I don't know if the definition should change. I'm not sure the definition should change if, yeah. if the core is survival. We've talked about this before about what's more important, your character or survival. Yeah. Right. Um, but without going too deep into that, can I touch on one other one just before we get into Batman? Yeah, go for it. Because I think that Deadpool, if we don't talk about Deadpool, people will be like, what about Deadpool? Um, <laughs> That's true. I think he's very much the typical anti-hero, though maybe kind of an extreme uh, version of him because he does the right things, but all in the wrong ways. Um, he uses the wrong ways because those ways are easier for him to use, both because he does have some inner torment, but also because he seems to find some sort of joy in them as well. Um, and so he doesn't have to use extreme violence to do the right thing, but he does just because he kind of wants to. And I think that's, that's, that can be something that we see in antiheroes is that they, they do the right things, but they because they don't care about as many human beings or as much of the population as the true hero does they're willing to do things that a true hero would not be able to do or would not should not be able to do right hmm. so i almost feel like when it comes to deadpool now granted if you listen to this show you know that my opinion of deadpool is in the gutter it's not, <laughs> it's, not it's not high i don't like him but i almost feel like he doesn't even fit into the discussion because Woo-hoo! he's satire. Uh. You know what I mean? That's how I feel about him. Like, I don't think it matters if he's doing heroic things or villain things. He's there as a bit of satire for the whole conversation. Dude, I'm with you. Hmm. That's how I see it. And it depends on the story. I mean, I know there's stories out there where he's been part of, like, X-Force and maybe some of the initial stuff when he first came out, when you know Rob Liefeld had first created him and he appeared in X-Force and New Mutants and things like that. There's always so many stories and so many approaches, but overall, I feel like he is satire and therefore sort of external to the conversation. What would exclude satire from the conversation? I, it's It becomes utilitarian, like he's there to make commentary on everything Mm-hmm. as opposed to be part of the story and be part of the struggle. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe. maybe. I think, Anthony, have you seen the Deadpool movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I think that the weird part about... I, I, I can see where you're going with that. I, kinda, I'm definitely talking sense. more from the comics side of things because in the movies... Well, no, it's it's true in the movies, too, because there's the X-Men, there's all the other characters. I mean... Well, in the first movie, it is, though, a Deadpool story. So even if it is satire about I seen the first superheroes, one, so. I mean, I haven't seen the second one, so it's not I have <laughs> um, But uh, I would say, like, there's still, if we were going to deconstruct that character, we would still need to come up with some definition of what he is. I have oh, Okay, one. yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you, are you guys familiar with the, uh, the way that you classify personalities in Dungeons & Dragons? Yes. So the whole chaotic, yeah. good, lawful, neutral, all of that. Uh, I think that, and this is kind of an artificial 
suturing of two things together. But I think the way that we've been talking about heroes and villains and anti-heroes and anti-villains um, is is kind of a way of talking about the good and the evil side of things. Um, but in Dungeons and Dragons, you've got the middle side. You've got neutral. There's nine different traits, nine different possible you know, alignments that you can fit into. Three good, three neutral, and three evil. And I think uh, that Deadpool fits into the chaotic neutral slot as perfectly as you can actually find one. Uh, find an example for that character. I mean, chaotic, he's chaotic in the sense that he doesn't really follow rules. He doesn't, you know, he has no real um, respect for boundaries or mores, whether they're official laws or, or so just kind of social expectations. He, he, he's chaotic, so he, he kind of does his own thing. And, and he's neutral in the sense that he's not really good and he's not really evil. He, again, he's just kind of doing his own thing. And, and so it's, that's why I think I, I totally agree with Daryl, maybe for a different reason, though. Even when he's not being treated as a satirical character, he's, he doesn't really fit well into the good side of the scale or the evil side of the scale. So this whole hero, anti-hero, villain spectrum there's not he's just not on that i don't think he's on that scale at all yeah you guys are probably right because i don't really have much familiarity with him from the comics at all and i'm thinking about it primarily from the first film only wherein they're definitely trying to make you feel like he's a good guy like he's he's not really neutral in that film he's sort of leaning good but he's sort of resentful that he has to be good <laughs> yeah so yeah. but but that's but that's i have one one microcosm of the entire history of that character so yeah. i'm sure you guys are more on track than me yeah i'm not a big deadpool fan either i don't hate him but i just i don't know i just don't really care about him <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i know every like he was he blew up a couple of years ago everybody loved him and i just thought well i don't know i guess he's funny but whatever. yeah i don't know i don't get it either i but that's okay i don't have to get it uh, yeah that's not right. everything's for to. me that's fine um okay it's time to talk about Batman before <laughs> and I know I know we're going to argue here. So before <laughs> we start giving long answers and really diving into it, I want to do super quick fire one word, yes or no, for each of us is Batman an anti-hero? Anthony. Yes. Jay. Maybe. One word. Maybe. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Only because I think it depends entirely on the on the story that you look at. Oh, oh. Uh, no, no. Well, can well, I say yes, that's not true, counting but, Adam West? But overall. Yeah, overall. Give, give me an overall answer. Overall. Yes or no? Uh, no. Okay. I say no. Okay. So, okay. So let's dive into it. Anthony, why is it an emphatic yes for you? I think he is the... Uh, I actually said by the time this episode drops, this will have already been on the blog, but I, I said somewhere on the blog that he is the, the yin to Superman's yang. He is the, uh, the, uh, well, when I, everything I was saying earlier in my definition of an anti-hero is someone who's broken and tortured, uh, on the inside, but does you know, good things outwardly as an expression of that. I mean, that that's Batman. He, he was traumatized as a child. Uh, I think I'm really influenced by some stories like Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum 
or Alan Moore's The Killing Joke, or I think you, you guys have talked about White Knight, haven't you? That relatively Love new, oh. beautiful story. But it's yeah. all, I mean, all of these stories are about how Batman is as twisted as his rogues gallery. I mean, the, the only reason why he's not in Arkham is because he's putting other people there kind of in his place. That's what Arkham, the, the, uh, the Grant Morrison Arkham Asylum story was all about, how he really belongs in Arkham with everyone else. And I really think that's right. The only thing keeping him out is the fact that he outwardly does these really good things to help other people. But inwardly, he is a very broken individual. And I, I know there have been a lot of, um, it's kind of been an argument for a long time, and it, at least one writer has, has actually put it into the canon now, that that Bruce Wayne is the mask that Batman wears. It, mm-hmm. it, that, that the kind of the bo- the baseline personality of the of the human being is not human anymore it's it's batman and then he just pretends to be bruce wayne in public and i think that that evidence is a very seriously scarred and tortured figure so okay i'm going to jump in cuz i'm on the other side of the spectrum and then you can kind of fill in, in the middle, middle ground <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mr but... maybe over there <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> um Okay, so your idea of somebody who's broken inside but externally does good things, um, I like that. I like that as a portion of the definition of an antihero, but I do feel like the motivation piece is an important one. Um, And, yeah, you talked about how lots of the antiheroes have different motivations, and that's true. I'm not saying all antiheroes have to have the same motivation, but I feel like that motivation has to be themselves and then they inadvertently are helping people as a part of that and maybe inadvertently is not the right word but they end up helping people because they're trying to satisfy something else other than helping people with batman i don't feel like that's the case i feel like batman absolutely broken absolutely has his own demons and definitely does have a bit of a revenge tilt to what he does because he's had so much taken away from him but I think at the core Batman really does want to help people and save innocent people and protect Gotham and make the world a better place so he's definitely broken but I think he's one of those heroes who being broken doesn't push them so far into an anti-hero I kind of feel like Logan falls into that category as well Wolverine um and I know that's a little bit controversial because I know they do terrible things. Batman does have the code that he doesn't kill. And I know if you're looking at versions, there's all kinds of different versions. Some people have written Batman as a straight-up villain. White Knight is just this side of that. Um, and that's true. So, yeah, there's different versions. But the majority of the versions, and especially if you look at the continuity that's run through DC Comics and the majority of the movies that have come out, Batman doesn't kill. He Mm -hmm. has a code. So I feel like having a code and still having your motivation be to protect people, even if you're going to do it in a Dark Knight kind of way, I think he's still a hero and not an anti-hero. And I I definitely see the yin and yang thing with him and Superman, but I feel like that's the yin and yang of a hero. I don't feel like that pushes him so far into a non-hero or even an anti-hero category. I think it's just like 
there's a dark hero and a bright hero, but they're both heroes. They both have the same goals. I think I'm going to bring up another character after Batman because I think this other character is fast, fascinating. But this other character I'm going to bring up is, I believe, an anti-hero masquerading as a hero, which is a <laughs> weird one. Yeah. But I think Batman is a hero masquerading as an anti-hero. Mm. And so I think we have to ask ourselves the questions, go back and ask the questions like, what's his end goal? Um, I don't think he's just out for revenge. I think he actually wants just he wants to create a, a it, Batman consistently will say, if I am able to eradicate a lot of these this corruption, we I'll put down the mantle. Yeah, I will not. I will no longer be Batman. Batman will go away. Yeah. Right. Um, and I you think, see that in the Dark Knight trilogy. Like, you do. That's yeah. what he's working towards. Absolutely. Yeah. I do think though that that gets. It gets um, you guys ask the question too. Does he want to see some of the criminals redeemed, or does he just want to pound their faces? And that's really variable, depending on what comic you're reading, depending on what movie you're watching, depending on what character you're talking exactly, about. Exactly right. Um, I do think that the BVS Batman feels the most anti-heroish of most of the heroes because he doesn't really he wants what he wants at the expense of Superman right off the bat. And he's willing to use violence against Superman to get it. Yeah. So he feels really anti-hero-ish to me. But there's a lot of other Batmans that actually feel a lot more altruistic, despite the fact that he does use violence. I don't think he goes straight to violence first. Um, and again, he's in an environment where how would you not use violence? Because as soon as you say, I'm Batman, everyone turns around and tries to shoot you. Yeah. Um, so it gets to be real, real weird. But I think he's sort of like a hero who's masquerading as an anti-hero and he's using fear in as as a weapon against some of the people that he's trying to the corrupt people yeah. <laughs> that he's trying to eradicate and hopefully I think sometimes redeem but maybe not <laughs> maybe not depending on the story. Yeah, and I think his I mean a lot of people think of Batman as kind of the lone wolf, like the lone ranger kind of character, you know, like he's out there at night taking all these characters out. Yeah. But my favorite aspects of Batman are actually the relational aspects of Batman. Yeah. So Anthony, you mentioned Alfred. Like that his relationship with Alfred is actually it's beautiful. It's like it's really touching. And then yes, he he is a vigilante and he is working kind of above the law, outside the law, whatever. But one of his closest relationships is Commissioner Gordon. And so he still has that connection. And then he's got all the Robins. He's got Barbara Gordon. And I think this, the Bat family, as they call it, sort of this community around him is a big part of what helps him from drifting over into that world of anti-hero. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I have one more for you guys. Unless you want to talk about Batman for some more. Well, (laughs) (laughs) always. I think the, uh, so you said Batman has a code, and I think that's true, but plenty of antiheroes have codes. I mean, we already talked about uh, the Punisher, you know, having his code. If if we wanted to call him an antihero, I'm, again, skeptical. But he definitely has this this code, like, to at least try not to kill people who don't deserve it. I think another one, another anti-hero would be someone like Jack Sparrow, who is always talking about the pirate code, which granted that's more like guidelines, right? But still. Um, (laughs) But I think more importantly, the idea that Batman is not self-motivated is something that I'm not sure if I agree with that because he, so especially since the 80s, (laughs) I mean, before that, and especially in the Adam West era, that's kind of a different conversation. But 
since since the since Alan Moore got a hold of the character and and uh, you know a few others, he, I I think that you can make an argument. This gets a little like armchair psychologist here. <laughs> But I, I think a lot of times when Batman is doing what he's doing, it's because he does not trust the world around him. I mean, he has a contingency plan for everybody, right? Even the people on his team, mm-hmm. even the people in the Justice League. He he has a, a a several ways on hand to take them out. Uh, I think one of the I think you're right that the Bat family is a really fascinating element of his character. But usually, it's because he doesn't work with them like the bat family is is his family despite how he's always keeping them at, at arm's length you know they still they still care for him the the robins and, and everybody else but they're having to kind of force themselves into his life because he's not really welcoming because i think really i mean w- with and this is the armchair psychologist bit i think that a lot of the the villains that he is putting behind bars is that he's seeing them every time as Joe chill. I mean, he thinks everybody is the person who killed his parents and he's trying to stop them. I mean, yes, he's saving other people by doing it, but I think he's doing it for largely self-motivated reasons because otherwise he feels like he failed. It's see versioning is so important in this yeah. conversation. That's what's so hard. Cause you mentioned yeah. Alan Moore. Which obviously, when Alan Moore gets a hold of Batman, it's different. <laughs> it's a different yeah. story. Well, and it's but and if it's you not, look at the yeah. the the, the uh, continuity is the word I'm looking for. The continuity of Batman comics and Detective Comics, which is you know getting up close to a thousand issues at this mm-hmm. point, it it's different. It's Alan Moore's take, Frank Miller's take. Those kinds of things are they're definitely there and they help inform some of the character, but they're they're definitely alternative. I don't know. La- last term. Last piece of evidence I'll give. How about Jeff Loeb? He's pretty uh, pretty standard. Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. You know they've done loads of of recent work in uh, in Batman. They, they did the Hush mm-hmm. uh, series. And there's this really there's one picture. In fact, I'm I'm actually looking at it because I pulled it up because I think it's the perfect uh, kind of encapsulation of what I'm thinking of here. In the middle of Hush, which everybody should read because it's super fun, but uh, Superman gets kind of mind-controlled by Poison Ivy, and so he and Batman are fighting. And there's this really great double, you know, double-page spread where Batman punches Superman, and and you know, it says "bam" right in the middle of it. And and while they're fighting, you're all of the 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 thought bubbles are Batman's inner monologue, kind of what he's considering. I'm just going to read what he says here. This is Batman thinking in the middle of the fight. He says, if Clark wanted to, he could use his super speed and squish me into the cement. But I know how he thinks. Even more than the kryptonite, he's got one big weakness. Deep down, Clark's essentially a good person. And deep down, I'm not. I guess... <laughs> so I guess, I guess the, the the thought process is... Well, that's, I mean, deconstructing good person is going to be another podcast, first of all. <laughs> but, it's a whole other show. Yeah, but um, <laughs> I think that that's really good. I think that that's a really good example. I think the, 
Batman is a tough one. I mean, what are you gonna? What are we yeah. gonna say? He's, I'll say he's this right in the middle. I will. I'll throw one more thing back at one thing you said, Anthony. You talked about his contingency plans. You talked about oh yeah how he has all of these things in place to be able to take out his peers, mm-hmm. and in my mind, that's an argument for him being a hero because he knows that those people have a level of power that, if corrupted and if in the wrong hands, could be disastrous, and so his efforts to come up with contingency plans and fail safes against Superman and everybody else actually have to do with protecting people. Yeah, I can get my I mean, I, I, I think you're right, but, but I think it, uh, I mean, he is, I think you're, I think it's good that he has those. Yeah. I, I, I'm definitely on board with that, but I think it's because he doesn't trust them. <laughs> I think cause he's, he's just so he's like the ultimate, uh, tortured character. Right. I mean, he's just, sure. if, if um, it, I think that Superman is a hero because he has this power and he wants to help other people. I think Batman is a hero. He is. I think he's a hero because he's broken and he doesn't know what else to do with his life. So, and he doesn't want other people to be broken either. Maybe like if you want to do something self, you know, that's not self-motivated, you could go in kind of that direction, but it's, yeah, I think he's very much the tragic figure. There's a great, oh, okay, here, there's a great book uh, by Grant Morrison, who, who has written Batman and Superman and, and Justice League uh, for a while. It's called Super Gods. Uh-huh. And it's kind of tracing, it's kind of partly Grant Morrison's autobiography, but it's mainly him kind of doing a, a brief history of, of superhero comics. Right. And he has this really great, theory that I really like uh, about Superman and Batman specifically being that that yin yang kind of force that I was talking about earlier so if folks like to read that would be an awesome book to read definitely okay we're running long here so it's time to tackle the ultimate question can we come to an agreement on a definition that we're all happy with so we've talked about we've talked about motivation we've talked about brokenness We've talked about methodology. I, f- I feel, though, like, and you guys correct me if you don't think this is true, I feel like if we're going to come to sort of a marriage of a definition between where we're all coming from, uh-huh. I feel like it's going to be some sort of an intersection between motivation, methodology, and brokenness and acting out of that brokenness. Does that seem fair? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you were to, I think if you were to look at, if you were to line people up and look at the characteristics of people who we would kind of naturally gravitate towards calling them an antihero, mm-hmm. I think that you would find that many of them, if not all of them, are very tortured and tormented, like like Anthony's talking about. Yeah, I think you'd also find that they have these moments of I'm gonna do the right thing, even if it costs me a little bit. But I just because I should do it, even though they don't even maybe want to do it. Yeah. Um, I think so that you've got the motivation covered there and you've got sort of their internal. Um, I think the more broken you are, the more difficult it can be to see other people around you as in need of redemption as well. That's what's so fascinating to me is I think some tortured characters can actually see that. They can see the need around them as well, but some can't. So if you if you have if you couple the motivation with the background, 
uh, and the brokenness. I think that's a really solid place to start. The behaviors, to me, start to get a little fuzzy because we talked about killing. Well, you know, some heroes seems like they can kill, and that seems okay, right? Yeah. So the behaviors seems like a fuzzier metric to me overall mm -hmm. because now we're now we're defining morality and we're going like and and we're getting into very much specifics like if you are from the united states of america and really believe in everything that is traditionally nationalistic about america you might call the punisher even a full-on hero but i would say <laughs> then you have to have a golden rule definition and that just takes that hero definition completely away to the point where anthony and i are like ah pretty much sure he's a villain <laughs> right like yeah so uh yeah so i think the behavioral stuff it gets real dicey um but i think the motivation and the behavior or the motivation and the um the the inner torment is solid nice I really liked how both of you, like <laughs> way back when we started this, uh, you both had the word compelled in your initial definition. Mm. And I don't think I did, but you both said that, uh, that they, for, for whatever, you know, whatever else is going on, they are compelled to behave as they do in, in their situation. Um, so that, you know, that, that, you know, maybe, maybe they're reluctant to do it. Um, Maybe they uh, maybe it grates directly against kind of what what they would rather do, but that's <laughs> you know this is a bit of a historical note. It's it's kind of hard to know exactly when the term antihero was was coined, but it looks like in the you know initially when it first was being thrown around, it was describing what are called Byronic heroes like Lord Byron. Um, who wrote a lot of characters in his stories that were very rebellious and maybe maybe kind of uh, dark and mysterious and romantic, but um, they were kind of like jerks. They were tortured. They were tortured figures. A Byronic hero is a tortured figure. And at, at least initially, anti-heroes and Byronic heroes were probably like synonyms. So, yeah, that, that torturedness is something that's good to incorporate here to tortured and compelled yeah i dig it okay i'm gonna attempt to sum up a one sentence definition do here. it do it tell me what you guys think of this i'm typing it out so that i say it correctly <laughs> um okay so here is where it is okay tell me what you think of this an anti-hero is a broken person who is compelled to act heroically despite non-heroic motivation. One more time. An anti-hero is a broken person who is compelled to act heroically despite non-heroic motivation. I like that. Well, we said that their motivation was heroic, though, at times. No, well, <laughs> in, my, in my mind, their motivation is not heroic. Their actions end up being heroic, but they don't care about the world at large. Yeah, I feel like they do care about the world at large. It's just that they, they have they they simultaneously care about themselves as well. So it makes it harder for them to make that decision. Like Rocket Raccoon, for example, right? He's like, ultimately, I do have empathy for other people, so I will do this. But that was not my initial thought. My initial thought was just take care of yourself, Rocket. So what if instead of compelled, did you say despite? But if it compelled, even if they lack 
those motivations or you know make it mm. like more conditional mm. there you go or maybe despite a non-heroic initial motivation yes there you go because they grow yes, yes, right yes. i mean every, any good there. character I'm, grows. I'm all about that yes yes so an anti-hero is a broken person who is compelled to act heroically despite non-heroic initial motivation. Yeah, that's good. And then, and then Ashley can take it and, like, since she's the wordsmith, she can really come up with something amazing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's going to show up on a picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Yes, it is. Are we happy with that? I mean... I'm pretty happy with that. At yeah, least as an outcome pretty... of this discussion? Yeah, I think that's a good... Certainly, it's a great synthesis of everything we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah. And then you're also all going to have to go out and buy the book that with Anthony's chapter. Yeah, in it. that's <laughs> right. A complete, yeah. an extra complete section of that, which would be awesome. There's charts. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I feel pretty good about this. I think this conversation is in no way over, but I think we've done a pretty good job of at least contributing to it tonight. So, well done, gentlemen. Yeah. And Anthony, before we close, dude, thanks for being on the show with us yet again. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thanks for joining the team and thanks in advance for all of your awesome blogs that are coming up. Oh, boy. And and, um, I know you guys don't have new episodes out at the moment, but at least let people know where they can find the Story Cauldron. Yeah, if you go to thestorycauldron.com, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Uh, and, and then wherever you get your podcasts, I mean, iTunes, comma, et cetera, et cetera. Nice. There you go. There you go. Now let's go out and argue with everybody else about antiheroes. <laughs> <laughs> and Batman. That's it for today's show. Special thanks to Anthony Holder for joining us today. Coming up next week on the Story Geeks podcast. What do we have next week, Daryl? Inception. Inception. A dream within a dream within a dream. <laughs> don't forget, listen while you sleep. Basically, that's, that's, that's right. the way to do it. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on that. And be sure to connect with us in our Facebook group. So go to Facebook, search for the Story Geeks. Let us know your thoughts on today's show, especially today's show. Antiheroes. We tried to talk about a bunch of them. There's so many more. Let's keep this conversation going. Tell us who you think we missed. Tell us your opinions on what we did talk about, and let's keep going with that in the Facebook group, as well as if you have some ideas for future episodes, that's where you can throw those at us. Yeah, we have some really cool content coming out on Patreon as well. Patreon is a place for fans to support creators like us, and the reason I bring it up is because we actually have a new audiobook coming out, and you can buy it, you can purchase the audiobook from wherever you purchase audiobooks, but... You can also get it for free if you sign up for $3 a month to support the Story Geeks podcast on Patreon. So as a part of that podcast, we are going to be releasing the segments for free on the show, but they come with an intro and an outro, and they're not that long. So if you really want to binge listen to it, highly recommend you become a patron. You also get additional content like our Aftercast. Um, even at $2 a month, the sponsorship um, per month, you can get access to our Aftercast. And the Aftercast is either additional information on the topic at hand or other additional cool content. Like tonight, Daryl and I are going to do a review of Venom. Last week, we had our top 10 through 6 antiheroes. So you can only get that content if you're supporting us on Patreon. Um, obviously, we love our Patreon supporters and we're really appreciative to everybody who supports us on Patreon. Definitely. If you enjoyed today's show or any of the Story Geeks podcast, please share our show with a geek friend and links to everything we've talked about, including the Patreon stuff, which I highly recommend you check out, are in the show notes. 
Thank you for listening. And as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories. And always seek the truth. <laughs>